the gap of mm-hmm. like the space that Asians are looking for to enter the conversation, yes. other cultures speak over each other. Right, right. <laughs> so there's no way to get in on the conversation. And then it's already right. four, four topics later. Yes, right. So, so hard. Hello and welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American Pacific Islander women on our ethnic journey and leadership. I am your host, Vivian Mabuni, and we are so glad you're here. Hi everyone, welcome back to Someday is Here. I hope you have been enjoying all of the different guests this season. Um, You are going to love today's guest. Christine is the whole package. Christine Yisa, she is a writer, a speaker, she is an author. Um, What I love about Christine is she is so articulate and smart and passionate, and she also has such a tender heart and is um, very tuned in. She also is a learner and is constantly learning. And all of it is so evident as we have our conversation today. So you're going to love Christine and you're going to want to follow her on Instagram after you hear our conversation. So without further ado, enjoy this episode. All right, welcome back to Someday is Here. And I am, again, so thrilled to introduce to you another fabulous Asian American woman leader. Today, we are having a conversation with the wonderful Christine Issa. She has become a dear friend, and I'm just so excited for you to get to hear her story. And um, for those of you that were at the live event, she led worship. And she also sang the most beautiful Korean song. And just, I don't think there was a dry eye. So Christine, welcome to Someday Is Here. Thank you so much, Viv. I'm so honored to be here on this podcast. And I just am so grateful to have your uh, friendship and mentorship in my life and excited to join today. Yay. Well, how do we even know each other? I'm trying to think how we got connected originally. Yes. Um, I think it was through Grace Cho and Chantel Reynolds. I think they were close to you. And then yes. I said, can I please, can I please become Viv's friend? <laughs> and, then they, and then they graciously introduced me to you. I think it's how we first met. Oh my goodness. I think it was about... I- eight months ago or so, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, I refer to the three of you as the three musketeers because you are changing the world and I just am screaming loudly and waving my arms wildly. And it's just so great. So we feel, we feel that championing from you. It's, it's been amazing to have uh, two women of color in my life so prominently um, as we're kind of chasing after dreams and goals together. Cause before I didn't really value that as a, a value in my life. I just was like, mm. I want to be friends with really quality people, but you know, kind of a more generalized um, uh, approach to friendship. And um, I really think it was God's grace that He brought me those two amazing women of color. Um, mm. Grace, Grace, and Chantelle, I love you. If you're listening, oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, seriously, we have they. They are listening. Chantelle yeah. is the executive <laughs> producer of this yes. podcast, so she she is 
the mm-hmm. brains and the brilliance behind everything. So yeah. I have the utmost respect. And I just yeah. taped an interview with Grace too. So we have yeah, all awesome. the most amazing people on mm-hmm. some days here. You know, <laughs> not that I'm biased at all, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, well, Christine, I would love for you to share a little bit. I introduced you in the intro, just some of, you know, your background and everything. But I would love to hear some of your ethnic journey. Tell me about yeah. and growing up and what it was like. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for asking. Um, I uh, am Korean American and my parents immigrated from Korea in the seventies and the eighties. So I'm second generation and my sister and I, that means that my sister and I were born here. I have one older sister, her name is Susan. Uh, and she's two years older than I am. Um, but I would say that my ethnic journey, it begins in kind of two prominent locations. One, um, is that I was born in Downey, California. Mm. And I lived there until fifth grade. Okay. And then my family, um, as my dad struggled with um, some issues with alcoholism, uh, we became bankrupt. And that mm. was a result of, um, I, I want to say that I, my ethnic journey can't be separated out from my family's spiritual journey as well. Mm. And uh, my mom prayed for years and years um, that we would go bankrupt. I know that's a strange prayer to pray, wow. but, um, and she would say that she didn't have much of a strong faith even at that time, but because my parents were struggling so much and my dad was struggling with alcoholism so much that my mom thought that the only way that our lives could change, um, was for us to become bankrupt. And so she was wow. praying these prayers. I would wake up in the middle of the night. So I, these are like my memories as a child. And my mom would be just crying on the ground, praying over us like early, early in the morning. And mm. I found out later, you know, as I got older, that Koreans have this tradition and um, commitment to early dawn prayer. It's called Sebyokido. Mm. And yeah. And so that's something that was passed down from my mom's mom, um, early dawn prayer, waking up at four, 5 a.m. in the morning, wow. um, going, praying before, you know, going to work or going about your day. And so my, um, yeah, my, my, my dad was struggling with this, uh, um, really difficult, um, reality with alcoholism. And so we became bankrupt, um, through my mom's prayer, I believe. And Mm -hmm. then we moved to Santa Monica. And so in sixth grade, we moved to Santa Monica because someone in our kind of sphere of community, um, a a Korean, uh, apartment owner, she gave us a rent controlled apartment in Santa Monica. And uh, people typically ask, how would you move if you were bankrupt from Downey to Santa Monica? (laughs) But it's because it was this uh, rent-controlled apartment that this Korean woman through a friend of a friend of a friend was like, we'll take you in. And that's kind of how Koreans are. We have this network of, Mm. um, I'll take care of you. Um, There's a Korean word called chong Mm -hmm. and um, J-E-O-N-G. And it means uh, sticky love. Um, And so Koreans have this like immediate... Mm kind of bond uh, towards one another. Even if we don't know each other, mm-hmm. we are immediately bonded to one another because you're Korean, I'm Korean, I've got you, you know? Yes, <laughs> and, yes. Yeah, and so I think through that Chong, uh, that family took us in to have this rent controlled apartment. Mm-hmm. And so both Downey and Santa Monica were very diverse communities. Mm-hmm. And during that time, we were attending a Korean immigrant church. So I've been in the Korean immigrant church for the past 20 years up until three and a half years ago when I became a pastor on staff at a multi-ethnic church. But we can talk about, talk about that in just mm-hmm. a little bit. But I, I wanted to mention that I grew up in the Korean church. And so 
in that space, I developed a lot of just a lot of pride of being Korean. Mm. Um, you know, just that con- that uh, familiarity and um, hospitality, uh, the culture, the food, Korean spirituality. I, I it was just kind of the air that I breathed um, in mm-hmm. those weekends and and weeknights. You know, with youth group mm-hmm. and and all of that. And did you speak Korean? I like, did at home, yeah. like or. My parents only speak, um, well, my mom only speaks Korean. And so um, I was always speaking Korean. I went to Korean school every uh, Saturday um, Mm. (laughs) until uh, middle school. And at the time, (laughs) really resented it. But I'm really grateful now. Yes. Um, And my dad speaks English well. Mm, Wow. And then you and your sister would speak English to each other? Is that pretty much? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's how my sister and I are as well. Unless we needed to do like a secret language thing where we wanted to not be understood out at the mall yeah. and then we would break into Chinese. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. That's so good. That's so real. Yes. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, it's, so do you have memories then of the alcoholism and your dad and all mm-hmm. of that? Like, was that just kind of woven into your childhood? It was, it was. Um, and, you know, I just preached a sermon recently called Women Are Healers. And I was talking about how my parents, um, looking back, uh, they were parenting and doing the best that they could out of their wounds. And my dad, I, um, he, he's in such a different place now. It's, it's really, he is, he's the one now sharing testimonies of how God has changed his life. And I, I wish there was time to talk about my family. Because when I talk about my ethnic journey, I can't even say it begins or starts here um, because I come from, or we come from a collectivistic um, culture. It's like, I think about my family's history. I think about my grandmother and my grandfather in Korea and the war with uh, Japanese occupation. You know, like Mm -hmm. there's so many layers to um, how we became uh, who we are. But my dad, um, he struggled with alcoholism because his father did um, after Mm. um, the war and after, um, being occupied by Japan, um, my dad's dad was forced to uh, uh, relinquish any sort of connection with his Korean heritage. You know, you, uh, we, they had to take on uh, Japanese names. Um, they couldn't speak Korean. So wow. it was like, yeah, during that time, there's just a lot of pain and wounds that got passed down um, mm-hmm. to my, my, my dad and his uh, siblings as well. And so um, I grew up in that context, and since I was a second child, I didn't um, I didn't feel a lot of the uh, chaos that I I believe my sister probably um, mm-hmm. um, kind of took up <laughs> sure. for me. And so um, my sister has always been um, someone I it has been more of a mother figure than a sister, and we're kind mm-hmm. of working through that even now. You know, like she, she talks to me like I'm a child. I'm like, no, I'm an adult. You know, <laughs> but, we're, but we're also really, really good friends. Um, sure. And, and we're yeah, we're working through kind of a lot of the stuff that my sister held for our family during um, kind of those early years of immigrant um, struggle in life mm-hmm. in America. Wow. Now, were there like <clears throat> I'm familiar with like the Twelve Steps and Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. and some of those yeah. great resources for that. Do they have something similar like that in the Korean Church? Or I mean, were there resources yeah. to help your family, or how was that for you guys? Yes. So um, when we moved to Santa Monica, we also moved to another Korean American church, and it was a new church plant and. 
Uh, my parents say that they heard the gospel for the first time for real, like at that mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. Um, through pastor. Um, his name is Pastor Eugene Salmoksenium. And he um, really believed in the power of inner healing. And mm-hmm. so he was, I want to say, pioneering something in the Korean church that wasn't taking place in many contexts at the time. Because, you know, uh-huh. Koreans and Asian culture, it's like shame and honor. You, mm-hmm. you want to honor your family so you don't share openly about the struggles that you're going through and you That's don't want right. to bring shame on your family. And, mm-hmm. um, and what our, that church started to do, and that's the church I was at for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Um, my parents went through that inner healing program where my dad started to share these stories about his dad and wow. share his pain and start to receive healing in that context where it wasn't normal to be able to share those things and be held Mm. and um, be ministered to and shepherded in that way. And so, yeah, I, I'm forever grateful um, for that space that really, um, yeah, impacted our family. Wow. That's incredible. That is incredible. So, so it sounds like you grew up with a a tremendous amount of Korean pride. Were there Mm -hmm. parts of your story where you found pain? I mean, obviously with alcoholism and everything, Mm -hmm. but just even as an Asian American, Korean American girl growing up in Southern Mm -hmm. California, did you experience points of pain? Yes, I I did. And I, um, yeah, I, my continued ethnic journey, <laughs> um, where I, I wanted to, I started to categorize like where, where I would shine in my Koreanness and where I would shrink. I feel like that's helpful mm. language. Ooh, I like um, that. Yeah. In my, I would say that. So high school, middle school, I feel like I had, um, my two best friends were women of color. So it wasn't, it wasn't different for me to be around people of color. I was excited about that. Um, but when I went to college, which was a small Christian university, uh, predominantly white uh, student population, I think that's when I started to shrink. And mm-hmm. I didn't have language at the time really to describe what was happening. It was more, more like I showed up and then I knew there were rules that I had to play by, mm-hmm. you know, to kind of fit in, to kind of belong. You know, I was 17 at the time um, in my first year at, at college. And I was um, so, I remember that feeling. I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to belong so badly. And I think that's yeah. a normal experience that many of us have. And um, in order to do that, I found myself kind of contorting, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I want to go to Urban Outfitters. Okay. <laughs> or like, <laughs> what, what, what's cool to do, you know? Like, right. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. And part of it is like, I was exploring a new culture. It wasn't like a, it was all done because I thought I was, unworthy or something. It was kind of like, oh, sure. these are new new ways of relating to different people and I can right. show up in this way. You know, mm-hmm. um yeah, and so uh I I kind of thought for a while maybe I'm really a chameleon and that's a good thing and you know, I was kind of processing why mm-hmm. am I this way with my Korean and Asian people and people of color and then why am I this way when I'm with my white friends? And Ooh, can you unpack uh, that a little bit? Like what would be yes. an example of something that would be different in each? Um, well, I, I found myself kind of diminishing myself in mm. white contexts. So I would, I liked being the cute girl. Mm. Like I like smaller version of myself. Yes. Yes. And um, yeah, so I, I would just kind of, and, and people, you know, my white friends, 
who I love would say to me, you're so cute. I just want to kind of carry you around in my pocket or, you know, I want to like, Mm. Mm -hmm. now looking back, that's hurtful. But at the time, I think they were also responding to the way I was showing up, which was, oh, you know, when they would say, can I adopt you? And I'm like, yes, be my parents, you know, my peers. It just didn't make sense. Right. But to me, I thought, um, being lovable and belonging was showing up in this way where I was um, endeared, you know, and like mm-hmm. cute, cute. Right, cute. Um, and, you know, fast forward to pastoring for the past three years, it's been me discovering, oh, I, I can roar. I didn't know I could roar, you know, because mm-hmm. I was so busy trying to be cute, you know? <laughs> like, right. So, yeah. And um, so a lot of transformation has, you know, taken place since that time. Um, another way I want to describe it is um, I think I was fighting up against two narratives that I think many Asian Americans face, um, the model minority myth. I thought that mm. being the model minority was a good thing. I yeah. was like, oh, I am a good, I'm a good minority. <laughs> I don't know mm-hmm. like, what I even, I didn't think critically about that. It's just what people had said about Asians. And so I said, oh, I guess I, I fit in. And, yeah, um, yeah. um, but the model minority, uh, narrative is a myth because it's, uh, it's a, um, narrative that says that Asians have somehow overcome racism through our hard work or through mm-hmm. our good work ethic. And obviously that's not true as we see with the coronavirus and just the race rampant racism, um, taking yeah. place, um, against Asians towards Asians, um, and so that that's one narrative. Another narrative is that um, I'm a perpetual foreigner. Mm. Um, you know, people during my time in college, you know, people asking, you know, where are you from? And I'm like, I, I'm from Los Angeles. Like, where are you really from? I'm like, Los Angeles. You know, <laughs> like, I really am from Los Angeles. Um, yes. Yeah. And um, just trying to navigate uh, why it was so hard to why it was so hard for me to kind of just be and belong and not Mm -hmm. have to prove that I belonged. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so I think those are two narratives and I know um, several other podcasters have talked about that with you, the perpetual foreigner um, context that no Asians could, you know, be seen as um, having been born here or, you know, belonging, belonging Mm -hmm. here, that that heartache that we feel. Um, And yeah, I think those are some, some pain yeah. points. Yeah. yeah, those are so relatable. This week's Did You Know is going to be a little bit different. Uh, Christine has just turned in her manuscript for a book that will be coming out the fall of 2021. And this is the section in her book where she kind of gives some of her backstory. And you're going to get a flavor of her writing. Um, she's such a beautiful, gifted writer. And I thought this would be such a great um piece for all of us to really learn more about the immigrant story. So enjoy this week's Did You Know? Yes. Um, well, I wanted to um, actually read an excerpt for you and for our listeners. Um, I uh, recently came out with a, uh, well, it hasn't come out yet. It comes out in uh, 2021, uh, a book called 40 Days on Being a, f- a Number Four on the Enneagram. And I felt like this excerpt from that book would be kind of a helpful launching point into talking about my ethnic journey. So I'll read it out loud. (laughs) It's called Hansum. Hansum. My great aunt recently told me a story about the Korean War. 
She's a petite woman, the younger sister of my mother's mother. She's now in her 80s, frail, with her life story woven into the lines of her face. She had never once mentioned the war to me. It was an unspoken rule in our family that we never talked about the past, the war that had de devastated and ripped our family apart, death that seemingly shadowed them as they traveled, trying to escape danger, the suffering, the pain, the trauma that she will never forget. She was only a young girl when the North was invaded by communists. My great aunt described how one day, thunderous explosions shook her village. She remembers how frightened she was, how she began to hear loud popping noises and screams of horror. Her family grabbed what they could and ran. Those who tried to flee could be killed, kidnapped or tortured, but to stay, they knew, was another, another death sentence. They boarded a boat in the middle of the night and traveled illegally to the south, tying rolled towels around the mouths of children to silence them. They made it safely, but their long journey was just beginning walking on foot from town to town to find safe refuge. During one treacherously long day of travel, my great-grandmother, who was carrying her grandbaby, lost sight of her family and disappeared. After months of searching, my family finally tracked down the village where she had eventually settled. But when they arrived, the villagers told them that the baby had died of starvation. My great-grandmother blamed herself for the death of her grandchild, for the loss of her family, and died of heartache. My family's story is not unique. Hundreds of thousands of Koreans shared these experiences during the Korean War. So many died from starvation and heartbreak. So many families were ripped apart by the 38th parallel and indiscriminate demarcation never to see each other again. Babies were separated from mothers, wives were separated from husbands, sisters and brothers, aunts and uncles, so much suffering, so much anguish. My great aunt holds her hands tightly as she tells me this story, the loss of her own mother, her sister. She presses her lips together and the lines on her forehead become deeper still. She breathes deeply to compose herself. Breathe in, breathe out. Every breath matters. I believe when my great aunt shared this story, she finally exhaled with memories of the living dead. In Korean, we call this collective breath Hansum. Hansum is a heavy, groaning sigh of generational grief. It implies that our grief is not individual, but collective. And as we exhale, groaning together with all of creation, Hansum is expressed alongside those in our world, holding in cries of frustration, despair, and grief. Our common humanity shared as we exhale. Wow. Oh, Christine. It's like 95 degrees outside and I have goosebumps. That is so beautiful. Oh. Thank you for letting me share that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. You know, it's really interesting as I've observed um, in just years of working with Asian American women, I've seen yeah. how some of the most brilliant, gifted women in a white context shrink down like what you're yeah. talking about like they, yeah. they go small and then they just blossom in these mm -hmm. Asian environments where it's like yeah who knew they were these amazing leaders and the yes. roaring that you're talking about yeah and kind of this it's a little bit like a like 
it's the same person, but not the same person, you know? So, yes, um, right. Yeah. So, and I've been struggling with that in my own life of wanting to be a woman of integrity and integrity means wholeness so that I would be the same person in my home as I am outside my home, that there'd Mm -hmm. be that, that, that congruence. Love it personhood, right? Yes. But what's so interesting is because of this Confucian uh, teaching, I think that's embedded in so many Asian cultures that, you know, when a daughter, you obey your father, when Mm -hmm. a wife, you obey your husband, when Mm -hmm. a widow, you obey Mm. your son, that there's this constantly one downing uh, as a woman. Mm -hmm. And so what I've seen is, and what I've, what's been modeled for centuries it's not even just generations, like centuries of modeling is that we anticipate the needs of others. Mm -hmm. And then we go through and um, in our home kind of shrink down again. Mm -hmm. And so my husband's always like, what happens to you? Like out there, Mm -hmm. you're this competent, articulate leader. And then in my own home, I can't describe what I want to eat. Like I can't, I can't identify like, yes. what does Viv want? It's like, I don't know what mm-hmm. I want. I know what everybody else wants. And mm-hmm. so I, I feel that tension. Do you experience anything like that for you or? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 I the code switching too. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Code switching is I think one way of um, experiencing that. And I think um, it's just a journey. So I, I had to just be gracious to myself because I yeah. find myself, I have that same, that's probably one of my greatest leadership principles um, to the just wanting to be um, congruent in every context that I find myself in. Mm-hmm. Like I'm the same person here. I'm the same person here. I'm the same person here. Yeah. But because our ethnic journeys or our racial identity formation has been something that's been squelched for a mm-hmm. while. And then, and then right now as an adult, you know, in my thirties, I'm trying to come into my voice, come into like the fullness of me beyond all of these rules that I've had to abide by. Mm. Um, It's just a process. You know, Mm. sometimes I'm like, uh, you know, when my husband and I uh, were dating, I would always tell him, Oh, I wish I was a man, you know? (laughs) And that was the, that was the only, he was like, okay. You know, and that was the only (laughs) way for me to describe this heartache of, um, I wish I had the same opportunities that you did, but Mm. I didn't have, I didn't have the language to even say it. I just right. was telling him, I wish I was a man. And uh, yeah. that was period. There was no yeah. um, next step. Mm. And then, and then, you know, now I'm like, I'm so happy. I'm a woman. You yes. Know? <laughs> and, you know, and then he's like, yes, you know, but I, um, I, that's what I mean by like, I am the same. Per- I want to be congruent in every context and have integrity in every context, but also I need to be gracious to myself to be able to grow into who um, I believe God, um, you know, or the divine is making me to become, you know, and, yeah. and, and, um, and it just, I think our ethnic journeys, it's, um, we've been so um, suppressed and oppressed that it's a long journey of undoing internalized, like very deeply rooted internalized mm-hmm. narratives, mm-hmm. Um, whether it's from our own cultural upbringing yeah. Or um, our even religious denominational upbringing that That's said true. women can do this or can't do this. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I want to say even during my time at, um, at my Christian university, that's mm-hmm. where I met, that's where I met um, Jesus. Um, that's where I became a Christian. And mm-hmm. so I started to um, diminish and relinquish a lot of my Korean spirituality. 
Mm. I would, I look down at my parents and I look at now I'm horrified at that, that I would be like, Oh, your faith is kind of uh, different than um, my faith now, now that I'm becoming this strong Christian. And it, it was as though kind of um, being in white culture along with um, evangelicalism and kind of the way that we were experiencing Christianity in that context was shaping me in a way that was also oppressing me. And I didn't mm. know it. I didn't know it at the time, you know? So that's where I mean, it's just a lot of it. It just takes time. It and we have to be gra- gra- so gracious to ourselves because I, I think God is gracious with us. And um, mm. it takes time to hear that voice of love say, you're worthy. And um, mm. I made you exactly the way you are. Um, mm-hmm. You bear my image and um, you have a purpose. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. and, you know, whereas for a long time, I thought, I can support someone else's purpose. I can hmm. support, you know, I can um, help someone else shine. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm really good at supporting or helping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and those are valuable traits for sure. You know, and yeah. I always want to be able to support and help, but also um, there are moments where I'm called to lead and, and I need to show up you know? mm-hmm. and, and I think I'm not worthy um, to do so. Yes. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I think that you are describing what many of us Mm -hmm. experience on the regular, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think of just uh, how many Asian women are overlooked in the workplace, in the work world, you know, totally competent, experienced, but because of this perceived, oh, she's just a helper and not viewed as a leader, there's not the opportunity. Yeah. So absolutely. And you know, the, the, the saying that we've talked about before, uh, you can't for Marian Wright Edelman, she says, you can't be what you can't see. Mm-hmm. Um, that goes for us, you know, seeing people. So me seeing you Viv, like seeing you lead, it's so powerful for me. Cause I'm like, I can do what she is doing, you know, <laughs> but also others outside of our Asian context, seeing you lead, like people can't um, experience change when they don't see it either. So it's yeah. kind of like this dual, like yeah, this extra work that we have to do, you know, and, sure. and, and that other, you know, people who are allies in the work of anti-racism um, and racial reconciliation and bridge building that they're working on as well. But mm. um, yeah, it's just, there's so many layers to this. And um, I wanted to mention actually one other thing. I think growing up um, Korean and Asian you know, we're taught to honor our elders. And mm-hmm. so I feel like it begins like early, early on, like in this classroom settings where, you know, yeah. I remember getting, always getting a low score um, on my participation classes, yes. you know, just so yes. frustrating, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but in reality, it's, um, yet yeah, one of my um, black friends recently reached out to me and said, you know, what do white teachers need to understand about uh, students of color? And I was explaining mm. as an Asian American, you know, mm-hmm. we're taught to honor our, elders honor authority. And so we're told not to speak when an authority, so like a teacher figure is speaking, even when we're invited to do so, even though there's right. calling on us, like speak, yes. you know, we're like, wait, are you sure? I don't think you're right. Really. <laughs> like, yes. we're not allowed to. Um, and this looks like passivity, but it's really our way of participating and showing respect, you know, mm-hmm. to the teacher to say, we're not questioning what you're saying. We respect you. We honor you. And also something I mentioned to my friend was that um, since it's a collectivistic society and culture, um, to slow down the class by like asking questions, raising my hand, 
that ends up being a burden, you know, or yes. um, yeah, you, you don't, it, it, it's, those are the things that we're, you know, trying mm-hmm. to undo. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the rules that we couldn't succeed in. But looking back now, it's like, okay, that taught me a, a specific way of honoring people. But now um, I need to speak. And, and so it's just a continual journey, you know, because yes. <laughs> my default really is to be a great note taker. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. even in this podcast, I'm like, oh, Viv, can you talk this whole time? And I'll take notes, <laughs> you know, <as> you talk. <laughs> you know, even though we're being, I'm being interviewed, mm-hmm. it's just my go-to is to be in this more uh, perceivingly passive role, but it, mm-hmm. it, it's my way of contributing as uh, an environment that, you know, respects and honors my elders. So. That's so good. I think recognizing that is so important because it's not saying to not do that. But it's yeah. also recognizing the limitations if we only yeah. operate, because it's one thing if the entire group operates with that mind- yeah. mindset, then eventually we do get a chance and a turn. But yes. when we're the only ones working with this framework, mm-hmm. then we are overlooked as leaders because they're looking through a different lens. And so they're yes. looking for the assertive, speaks out, can articulate yeah. it, you know, mm-hmm. and those, and missing it. In a, a gold mine of leadership. Yes. So I so think good. it has to go both ways where in the same way your black friend asked, like how mm-hmm. can white yeah. teachers yeah. recognize yeah. that that is something that, you know, those who are listening and learning about Asian mm-hmm. culture can become aware of, um, yeah. you know, so when I'm training groups of people that are leading, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the Asian is not going to confront Mm-hmm. You know, even if the leader is wrong, it's just yes. so not okay yeah. to confront and certainly not, you know, uh, if there's an age gap or an experience mm-hmm. gap, you know, that just doesn't yeah. have, it will not happen. And so yeah. to expect that people mm-hmm. who are younger, even if it's wrong yeah. to speak out is going to be going against several layers of challenge yeah. yes. and, and recognizing that the, even the, the, the gap of mm-hmm. like the space that Asians are looking for to enter the conversation, yes. other cultures speak over each other. Right, right. <laughs> so there's no way to get in on the conversation. And then it's already right. four four topics later. Yes, right. So so hard. Oh. It is it is challenging. It is mm-hmm. challenging. Well, I love that there's the what you are articulating, I think listeners who are Asian are nodding. You know, mm-hmm. if they're driving their car or working out or folding mm-hmm. laundry, whatever they're doing, and listening to the podcast, <laughs> it's like, I get that. And to yeah. finally have words mm-hmm. that can describe the experience is so, yeah. I think, validating mm-hmm. it centers us in a way that's mm-hmm. like, okay, now I know what I'm dealing with yeah. versus just feeling frustrated. Yes, absolutely. So, so good. <laughs> wow. Oh, those are so good. I wish we could just talk forever and ever. Well, <laughs> yes, it's true. It's so true. Well, I'm going to switch the conversation a little yes. bit and just okay. go to something super fun. Um, what are some of your favorite Asian comfort foods, Christine? <laughs> uh, my favorite Asian comfort food. So um, I don't know if you know this, but my parents had a restaurant, a Korean <gasps> restaurant for 20 years. Really? Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have that in my background. As you well. do too. My mom opened a Chinese restaurant when I was growing up and I was mortified by the, like now restaurants are cool and cooking is cool and food network yes. and all that stuff. But growing yeah. up to me, like here she was a woman who had a master's degree, you know, mm-hmm. had gotten tenure at the university mm-hmm. and instead realized that there was no money there. 
So she mm-hmm. goes and opens a Chinese restaurant. And I was just mortified because it was like, no, that's what, that's the stereotype. Like, yeah. ah, and the smell yes, yes. of the greasy food and mm-hmm. me working weeknights and closing yes. up the restaurant ah. was just the shame Damn, piece I didn't of my know story. About this. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So I didn't know about your parents too. So Korean restaurant. Yes. So, you yeah, get, Korean we restaurant, get each other. We get, we get it. Each yes. Other. yes, absolutely. And just the, 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 hardship of restaurant life for our parents. Yes. Oh my goodness. Like their bodies just being so worn out um, yes. from the intensity of that work. But um, my dad made these amazing uh, cold noodles. They're called Ningmyeon. Ooh. And, and oh, I'm so sad it's now closed, but I wish I could go back in time. Uh, but they're Korean um, cold noodles uh, that originated from North Korea. And mm. um, it's buckwheat noodles um, that are handmade, um, kind of like kneaded, you know, mm-hmm. and then, and that's what my parents were known for. Cause a lot of restaurants just use like the pre-made noodles, but my parents right. would hand make them and people from all over Koreatown and beyond surrounding communities would come and have his noodles. And my really? mom, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. She was reaching there. Is it kind there. of she like a soba? It. Um, it looks, uh, like a lighter color of it, but it's, it's much more, um, stretchy and stringy. Yeah. And it's cold. It's cold. Oh my goodness. That sounds so (laughs) amazing. Did it have like a sauce that went with it or how was it? Yeah, it was a serve in, um, my parents still have not told us the, um, Ingredients like they are very oh, the secret ingredients. <laughs> the secret of the secret ingredients. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because there's a spicy version of it, and then there's like a cold um, broth, like a beef broth that goes Ooh, with it. And yes. so I don't know exactly what goes in there. I just saw mm. my dad go in the kitchen, make it, <laughs> and bring it out. But a fun story is that um, Sandra O's parents were regulars at my <gasps> parents' restaurant, and so the one day, Sandra O. Yes, and one day she came in with them. <laughs> And, and this is uh, while she was on Grey's Anatomy and mm-hmm. um, she signed, you know, an autograph for <laughs> me oh, and my sister. Yeah, it was I very love sweet. love it. Yes. But um, my, my, my mom texted she didn't text me. She called me and she said, do you know someone named uh, Sandra? Oh, <laughs> yeah, I was like, <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Um, but it's a very sweet. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a very a difficult time for my family, but a sweet memory um, that my parents um, we're such a, uh, yeah, beautiful part of the K-Town community in that, in yes. that restaurant world. Cause there's restaurants kind of on every block um, totally. and they were all for each other. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So you mentioned it was a North Korean dish. Yes. So was there a story yeah. with that? Like how that came to be in your family? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my, um, my parents say that it's my dad's mother who, um, and she was an incredible chef, but my parents say that it's her recipe, her originated, um, food that we, wow. we serve at the restaurant. Yeah. That yeah. is amazing. So, okay. So Julie and I just finished watching Crash Landing on You. Uh, oh how my it? goodness. <laughs> I, how can our life even keep going on now? Like we just I love know. all the characters. I mean, we didn't even want to watch the last episode because we didn't want it to end. I know. But we I felt could the same not. way. <laughs> so Anyway, but then this love for North Korea, which came about, like, there's just so much misunderstanding, but there's such, so much beauty in the way it was portrayed too. And absolutely camaraderie and the the community, I mean, all those pieces and the hardship too. Yes, absolutely. And I would say even going back to Chong, you know, what I was talking, J-E-O-N-G, that sticky love. Mm. That's why when the country was split up, it's just, 
the devastation and grief was so deep because of the tone we have for one another. And they don't really talk about that in crash landing, but it was kind of just assumed like you're me, I'm you, even though we're supposed to be enemies, like we're right. And, and I, I would say even, you know, in my Christian faith, it's, I'm constantly thinking because I I was pastoring in a multi-ethnic church um, Mm -hmm. for the past three and a half years, how from my social location, I can extend Chong to Mm. people outside of my natural kind of Korean people group. You know, it was like my African-American friends, to my Latino friends, you know, to my Muslim brothers and sisters, how can I extend Chong, you know? Mm. And so those are some themes that I feel like I've grown in the past few years. Beautiful. Wow. Okay. So you're raising little ones. Yes. Are there any hopes that you would have for them as far as the, con- I mean, you've married, your husband is Korean as well. Yes. Yes. He's, so his name is Dave. Dave. <laughs> Hi, Dave. He's so great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Love him. I didn't get a chance yes. to like really just say hey to him at the event, but he has a coffee cart of amazing. Yep. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. So oh, that's, thank that's you. coming back next year, everybody. That's just We're a excited. given now. This is just a given. <laughs> um, but anyway, like with you and your husband, you know, obviously I, you, I imagine you speak English to each other. So like, yeah. what are the Korean, what would you like to pass down to your children in hopes that their yeah. children would even continue in, mm. in the Korean culture and being Korean American? Um, I want to instill a sense of um, pride within mm. them um, and that their voice matters, their story matters, and that their story isn't compartmentalized outside of um, me, Dave, our, you know, their grandparents, mm. their great grandparents, but that their story spans legacies and generations of history of our people wow. being resilient, our people overcoming. And yes, we've experienced oppression, but we have moved forward, you know, and mm. we, um, I, I want them to know um, the hardships that my family has experienced and not just my family, but also the Korean community. And not mm. just the Korean community, but the broader Asian community. Mm. Um, and I think for a lot of um, my upbringing, I thought my ethnic journey only started just um, as a Korean person. But now living here in the U.S., I see that my Korean journey is connected to all of my Asian brothers and sisters. Mm. And uh, for, from the first indentured servants um, that came from China, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, to now to the yeah. LA riots, you know, to yeah, PO yeah. ninety sixty six, like my Asian collective communal story is part of my family's history now, mm. not just. So I, I would want my kids to know um, our history, our people's history um, yes. so that they can um, shift narratives. Um, mm-hmm. They can um, have cultural uh, knowledge and intelligence um, that they would know their history, know their worth and, be able to uh, contribute to society, um, uh, to a world that um, builds more compassion and empathy um, mm. for, for others yeah. and yeah, and for loving our uh, neighbors well. Yes. Well, with you as their mom, they are well on their way. So I'm very oh, thanks, excited <laughs> for them and for your family. And Okay. So how can people connect with you? Where yes. are the places? The places to connect are, um, I'm on Instagram at uh, Christine Yisa, the same name that you introduced me by. (laughs) It's you. (laughs) Yes. Um, And I lead different soul care retreats. I didn't really talk about that um, in this 
podcast today, but it's one of my passions to bring integration to uh, justice work and contemplative practices because I believe mm. that um, the work that we do um, to fight injustice needs to be sustained by a vibrant inner interior life. Mm. And so I think those two things um, are things that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, so yeah, if someone's looking to do a soul care retreat or do a soul care workshop, I, I, I love um, incorporating that um, into uh-huh. the work that I do. Um, yeah. And my email is the same, christinisa at gmail.com. So I think those are the two main places people can reach me at this time. That is fantastic. So we will definitely link all of that together so that people can find you. And I'm just, I'm so, I, when I think about this next generation of leaders rising up, Christine, mm-hmm. you are in my mind. Um, Thank you. I cannot find enough words to describe how excited I am for the future. The future is bright. You are you, a voice um, that is necessary, needed, and the I feel the best combination mm-hmm. of uh, truth and grace woven together. So I feel like you have credibility. You come with a heart of humility, but you have a lot of strength. So that roar is a, it's a, it's a strong roar, but it's not an out of control roar. Like there's um, this picture of, you know, strength under control, like um, a stallion that's, you know, able to be controlled by bit and bridle. So Mm -hmm. all of the strength of the horse is there, but it's not just this wild free range Mm -hmm. horse. And I think about your strength, Christine, and I just think of the hardships that give you that compassionate side, but I also Mm -hmm. see in you so many places where you, your leadership is just going to continue to shine. And I just cannot wait. Thank you. All the things that are going to happen in your life. Give you Korean hearts. Yes, Korean hearts. Now I know. Now I know. I know the Korean hearts. Because of the crash landing. Because crash landing. I'm such a fan and I'm so, so I just, the Koreans are just amazing. And just, I'm just such a fan. I want to be an honorary kimchi sister. Like that's Please, please come into the sisterhood. I just want to be so badly. So I'm like, can I just, just. Sneak yes, in there. please come in. Yes, you are bring, already. I'll bring, I'll bring the chopsticks. I don't know. So anyway, <laughs> yes. the silver chopsticks. I love it. Silver, I love silver ones. Yes. Yes. Upgraded so, ones. <laughs> that is so fun. Aww. Well, thank you so much for taking thank time you, today. Viv. And I mm. can't wait for everyone to get to know you better. Thank you, Viv. Thank you so much for the honor of having me on here. And I'll look forward to seeing you soon. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. What a great conversation with Christine. I hope that you will go right now and find her on Instagram and follow her at Christine Yisa. Christine often posts really um, helpful historical information about Asian American history. She also posts about racial reconciliation. Um, as you know, from hearing her excerpt uh, from her book, she's a very gifted writer and um, she is a leader to look to. So... Your call to action this week, friends, is evaluate where are the places she talked about in the in our interview about shrinking and shining. Where are you shrinking back? And where do you need to put yourself out there? These are dark times, and we need leaders who are going to be people of integrity and who are going to shine. So don't hold back. Have a great week, and we will... Be back with another episode next week.
Okay, so use that last one, Erin. Thanks. Okay, have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week. As always, we appreciate your feedback and invite you to subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast to help others find this show. The outstanding team that makes Some Days Here possible is composed of an incredible group of men and women. The Some Days Here logo and graphics are designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Production. The show notes and quotes are compiled by Vicki Fan. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The Did You Know section is researched and written by Elise Izumi. The creative design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantel Reynolds. Have a great week, and we look forward to bringing you another episode of Sunday is Here next week.